0: Well, good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. There you are. It is good to be with you here on this Sunday morning at Mayflower as we've come to worship together our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To uh, those who have joined us electronically, welcome. We are glad you've joined us this way as well. Hope to see you here in person as soon as as possible for you. But glad you're with us today as well. I'm going to ask a favor of you. I've seen many of you have done this, but some haven't. I see you. On your way in, if you could grab a name tag and write your name, I have this weird asymmetry going on where you all know my name and I am all learning your names. So it helps me a bit. I have learned one thing. If I'm talking to a woman and, and I don't remember her name, if I call her Barb, it's like a 25% chance I'm going to get the name right. <laughs> so if you can help me with the name tags, that would be fantastic. Uh, Again I want to offer on behalf of myself and my family thank you, thank you, thank you for the warm welcome we felt as we've settled in here into Grand Rapids and here at Mayflower. Uh, it's been so loving, you know. I will happily accept applause for that. And I will <laughs> applaud you for your kindness. Thank you. Uh in in just a short week that we've moved into our home, we have more furniture offered to us than we actually know have places to put. So thank you. Just one example of the love and kindness and welcome we felt. As our family. So thank you so much for that. We've come here to feel refreshed. We've come here to worship the Lord together. We've come here to be encouraged and lifted up by Scripture and by the presence of our brothers and sisters. Welcome to the house of God.
1: Good morning. If you will take a few moments and sign the friendship registers that are at the end of the aisle. If you have not received the Mayflower mailings and would like to, please include your address. This week you will have the fall newsletter hitting your mailbox, so we want to be sure that everyone receives that. September 11th is just around the corner, and that is our annual fall picnic. So it is such a wonderful celebration and kickoff Sunday. This year we will have bounce houses and a DJ and all things fun for the kids, And we will be serving Cousins Fried Chicken and all of the sides for the food. So please come and invite your neighbors. We would love to fill our front lawn. Prayer cards will be collected during the first hymn today. And Pastor Eric will be available up front for prayer afterwards. A few updates on the projects going on here at Mayflower. As we talked about last week, the audio and AV system, we are looking for an install date of December or January due to shipping issues and the parlor renovation has been going along as planned. If you come in during the week you can hear banging and tearing and all sorts of sounds. We can't ever see it because it's all sealed up but if you're out in the portico you can see there's two new windows that have been installed this last week so it's all very exciting. And you also may notice that there are wires coming out of some of the places in the walls throughout the building. There are going to be new camera and um, security lock systems that will be installed throughout this fall. And so the wiring just got to be done first, and that will be added to it. And now I'd like to invite Dr. Julia Brown forward for a moment for music.
2: This week we're ramping up our music program. Uh, As you all know, we have a wonderful adult choir, a wonderful children's uh, music program, a wonderful bell choir. But all those choirs will be better when you join us. So tomorrow uh, at 5.30 we have our bell uh, potluck at Cheryl and David Blair's home. On Wednesday we have our chancel choir uh, garden party at the Bosher house and uh, so please come talk to me or any of our choir members um, and we would love to see you at our parties and even more so at our rehearsals that begin the following week about today's music I would like to highlight uh, the postlude so it'll be a while before you hear it but um, The reason I picked it is our closing hymn, uh, the tune, St. Anne. We sing the words, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past. Uh, That tune was written by William Croft in 1708. He was the organist at the Church of St. Anne. Um, And the opening fugue of Bach's E-flat major fugue uh, sounds a lot like that St. Anne hymn tune. We don't know if Bach knew that tune. We don't know how, but there's such a striking similarity that I like pairing those um, on a Sunday morning. Um, And the fugue is actually a triple fugue. um, And so the opening theme is that St. Anne hymn tune. um, And it could represent God the Father, um, and then the middle fugue, uh, it could represent God the Son, and then the closing fugue, God the Holy Spirit, and he takes all of those three themes and puts them together. Quite a master contrapuntal writer. Um Albert Schweitzer wrote a uh, J.S. Bach biography and he wrote a book about Bach in 1905 and this is what he says about this E-flat major fugue. The triple fugue is a symbol of the Trinity. The same theme recurs in three connected fugues but each time with another personality. The first fugue is calm and majestic with an absolute uniform movement throughout. In the second, the theme seems to be disguised as is only occasionally recognizable in its true shape, as if to suggest the divine assumption of an earthly form. In the third, it is transformed into rushing 16th notes as if the Pentecostal wind were coming roaring from heaven.
3: As we come to worship this morning, I wonder if you can remember the story in the New Testament where Jesus met the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman she was. And they had a conversation, and within that conversation, Jesus said this If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Here then is the invitation from God. All who thirst, come to the water. Come, all who are weary. Come, all who yearn for forgiveness. The Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, has washed over us. And our gracious and holy God beckons and blesses us. Drink deeply of these living waters. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. Let us worship. Shall we pray? God, our rock, our refuge, our resting place, we come into an awareness of your presence. Out of another busy week of work, out of our struggles to be meaningful in our own world, out of our desire to meet you and know you as the center of our being, We come to you. Write your word on our hearts, O Lord. Fill our minds with your thoughts as we listen for your voice. We come to you, O unmovable rock, our security. Meet us here. Amen.
0: I'd like to invite the Reed family to come up here. Yeah, if if, uh, anyone who'd like to come stand, that'd be great. The Lord Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So hear these words of scripture. The apostle Paul writes, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, so we too might walk in newness of life, obeying the command of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we, the church, baptize those whom God has called. Baptism reminds and assures us that we share in the death and resurrection of Christ, and we are incorporated into Christ's holy church. The water of baptism is a sign and a seal of God's promise to cleanse us from sin, to renew us, and to reconcile all things to himself. So this morning I present Annabelle, daughter of Andrew and Kate Reed, to receive the sacrament of baptism. To Andrew and Kate, oh I know, to Andrew and Kate, do you desire that Annabelle be baptized? Andrew and Kate, will you be Christ's faithful disciples, obeying his word and showing his love? Relying on God's grace, Do you promise to live the Christian faith and to teach that faith to your child? Mm -hmm. And to the grandparents, do you promise through prayer and example to support and encourage Annabelle to know and love the Lord? Mm -hmm. To the congregation, we represent the universal church that is spread over all the earth. And as we receive Annabelle, we promise to guide and nurture her with love and with prayer. And to encourage her to know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So in response, we'll say together. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you into Christ's church. For we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you. To share the good news of the gospel with you. And to help you know And follow Christ. She's being such a good girl. Hi. Hi. Annabelle, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Annabelle, child of the covenant, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and you have been marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Annabelle has been received into the one holy and apostolic church. God has made her a member of his household to share with us in Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. Oh, I know, it's a big deal. (laughs) So let us welcome the newly baptized. You want to go see everyone? Let's go say hi. All right. Here's what we'll do. Say hi. Say hi. Want to grab a chunky leg?
4: Say hi. Look at those leg jobs.
1: Good morning. I'd like to invite all the children who are in preschool and grade school to come forward this morning for the children's message. You friends are so lucky this morning. You have a guest children's message -er this morning. We have Jenna Weinsma, who is a senior in high school. But when she was your age, she sat on these same steps. And so it's so fun to have her. Thank you, Jenna. Thank
5: you. Good morning, everybody. Today I wanted to go over something that Pastor Sean shared with the adults a couple weeks ago that really touched me. He talked about 1 Corinthians, which I'm sure you guys have heard before. But maybe not the full thing. It goes a little something like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Have we heard this? Maybe? But it goes on, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, and it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices the truth. One thing that really stuck with me was the part about, that says love does not envy or boast, it's not resentful. It made me think about college essays that I'm writing that you guys will have to do someday (laughs) and how maybe some people are farther along in the process than me or can get into some better schools. Maybe some of you feel this way, like some of your friends get better grades or maybe have cooler clothes or are better at a sport, and that causes some jealousy, right? But at the end of 1 Corinthians, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So I think that this time of year, when it seems like some people might have it better than us, or they have their stuff together and we're jealous, we should remember what God wants us to do. And that if we love somebody, we should be happy for them, right? So go out into your day and your new school year and know we can look towards God and learn to celebrate other people instead of envying or resenting others because they have it better. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, thank you for this lovely day you have given us. We are grateful for everything we have because of you, and we will start our school year trying our hardest to focus on the love that you showed us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you, Jenna. All right, friends, we are going to stand, and we're going to go to Sunday school with Mrs. Weiner downstairs.
6: The reading this morning is from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and it can be found on page 561 in your pew Bible. 561, not 559. This, in this reading, the Lord promises a new covenant with his people. Reading from verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor, or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord.
0: The renowned child psychiatrist, Robert Coles, was once talking with a fellow psychiatrist, you know, as, you know, members of the same guild tend to do. And this other psychiatrist was telling Coles about the despair he was feeling with one of his current clients. He said, I've been doing therapy with a man for 15 years. He is as angry, as self-centered, and as, as mean as he was the first day he walked into my office. The only difference now is that he knows why he is so angry and mean. And Dr. Coles pointed out that although the psychiatrist provided his client with insights as to how, say, his childhood emotional wounding had affected his adult dysfunction, the man still hadn't changed. So in thinking about this conversation, Coles asked, could we conclude that this man, what he needed? wasn't just information, but he needed transformation. But then that raises the question, is transformation even possible for human beings? Well, our scripture passage for this morning tells us that transformation is possible and not only is it possible, it's a key part of God's work in the world. And this era in which you and I live in, the New Covenant, well, it's all about transformation. However, we can't really grasp how God transforms us until we hear the whole story. And that means we need to talk a bit about God's work with the Jewish people to understand where our scripture passage comes from within the bigger story. Because remember what we heard today read, that beautiful promise, well, that was first written and given to the Israelites. So we need to pay attention to our connection with them if we're going to see our own place in God's plan of salvation. I mean, after all, we worship a Jewish Messiah named Jesus, right? And so in as much as the new covenant that God has made with us is, is a central piece of the Christian life, uh, we must understand that it's not really new unless it's connected with what came before it. So before going any further, I, I want to just clarify something real quick, because uh, the word covenant might be a confusing term. Sometimes it's I don't know, a technical term or an insider term in the Christian world that might not mean all that much to the average person. So I, I think we could... Uh, Make some headway here. If we understand a covenant to be a meaningful, personal, binding agreement, it's more than a legal contract, which tends to be pretty impersonal. Uh, It's something more akin to like a marriage commitment or maybe a business partnership. In in relationships like these, there are commitments, there are agreements, there are details about how it's all going to work within the relationship. And God makes covenants. There are several covenants in Scripture. But for our purposes today, there are two that I'd like to focus on, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So let's take a moment to consider the Old Covenant. And if we're going to understand the Old Covenant, we have to remember God's history with his people. Do you remember how God first formed a people of his own? He delivered his people, the children of Abraham, out of oppressive slavery. Remember, they were broken. They were suffering. They they were being wrung out like a rag, cruelly bled dry. They were being exploited to build the Egyptian empire's wealth. And like a lover who learns that their beloved has been bashed and beaten, God was angry. He basically says, Hold up, they did what to you? No. So God's hand came down hard on the hardened oppressors who wouldn't turn away from their brutality or injustice. But that same hand scooped up his beloved people in tenderness and mercy, wiped the blood from their wounds, wiped the tears from their eyes. And took them to a place of safety and healing. And God offered himself to them. Fully and forever. If they would in return offer to be faithful to him. To create a community of justice and righteousness that shows the world God's love. And so God and his people got married, so to speak. They bound themselves into a covenant relationship. And here we are. That's often called the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant. Through Moses, God gave his people rules for how to live in that community. God's law. The law was beautiful and perfect. God loved his people. He gave them every good thing, whatever they needed for happiness, thriving, fulfillment. But despite God's love and faithfulness, the people broke the covenant. It's as if they tore up the marriage certificate. They took the wedding ring that God had placed on their finger and threw it back in his face. And they walked out and started messing around all over town. And God was absolutely gutted, heartbroken, as his beloved people went out and sold themselves to other gods. Other gods who would use them and abuse them, rip them off and kick them to the curb. And God couldn't hold back his tears as he watched the life get sucked out of them. As as their eyes become empty and dead inside. He just wanted them to come home to him. The problem wasn't with God or with their vows or with the agreement that they'd made with each other. No, the covenant was good. The problem was stony hearts, idolatry, unfaithfulness. The problem was that God's people needed forgiveness and renewal. They needed it written on their hearts, not just on tablets. And in the face of losing their homeland, and really losing everything, through the prophet Jeremiah, God sent the message of hope to his people that we heard read today. That's exactly what God promised to do, to write it on their hearts. So that brings us to the new covenant. The new covenant, we must understand, is the fulfillment of the old covenant, the scriptures say that all the promises of God are answered yes in Jesus. Remember, Jesus says that he's not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. And if you remember in Romans chapter 11, Paul explains that we Gentiles are like branches that have been grafted in to the root of Israel, God's very first covenant people. God's people have always been called to holiness and obedience and to true, deep community. God works in um, continuity between the old and the new covenants in one grand plan of salvation. The new covenant is connected to the old. But the new covenant is new for a reason. It's not just an incremental improvement Uh, things fundamentally change. Remember, Jeremiah promises, he will be our God and we will be his people. Through the prophet, God promises a new community, a, a new way of having relationship with him. And that's what we Christians live in today. So very briefly here, in light of what we heard in our passage, I'd like us to consider three aspects Of what makes the new covenant new. First, if you remember, God writes his law on our hearts. God's law is essentially his will spoken out loud. What God wants turned into words. It's how he wants us to live. Uh, For the Israelites that came in the form of Ten Commandments, chiseled into stone. But in the new covenant, the will of God will be chiseled into our hearts. It will be internalized. And it will be internalized not through memorization. I mean, it's not that we won't need a Bible or tablets or we won't need it written because we've just completely memorized it. That's not what this is getting at. It's that our hearts will be transformed. Doing the will of God is just going to flow naturally from our hearts. Because we've been changed. Now the prophet Jeremiah did not foresee how that was going to happen. It was promised, but he didn't know the details. But the way it happens is amazing. The father and the son send their spirit, the Holy Spirit, to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. To change us. To make us the kind of people who want to obey the Lord. That's what it means to have his law written on our hearts. Well, second, this passage talks about people. Uh, people will know the Lord. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. Well, here's what's going on here in the old covenant, the, the uh, main entity was a corporate people, right? And individuals could put themselves inside or outside of God's promises by their obedience and what they did. But it meant that just because someone was an Israelite didn't automatically guarantee that they knew the Lord. But in the New Covenant, individual believers know the Lord because that's what it means to be a Christian, to know and love the Lord. So while as the old covenant started with a group and works towards the individual, the new covenant starts with an individual who then form a group. A group of people whose hearts have been changed. Now, God's people know him. And third, this passage says that God will forgive our sins. It actually says he forgets them in a metaphorical way. It means that they'll do the our sins do not become of uh, any part of the living memory of our relationship with God. He acts as if that never happened. Now, sin can certainly ruin our relationship with God and harm us. But it doesn't define our relationship because he forgives them. Once and for all, it's been dealt with by God himself on the cross. Well, let's circle back to where we began. Is transformation even possible for human beings? That seems a lively question in psychology. But theologically, the answer is yes. Through God bringing transformation that goes all the way deep down to our hearts. Let me tell you about someone I knew many years ago. His name was Kevin. Kevin. Now, Kevin went to an electric, sorry, went to a guitar shop. Uh, my daughter and I were at Guitar Center just yesterday on 28th. Guitars everywhere. So he, he, my friend Kevin walked into this guitar shop and picked out a guitar. And he read Guitar Player Magazine constantly. He would quote passages from his favorite issues. Kevin would wore the rock and roll outfits of the 1990s. Kevin would talk about gigs and roadies and amps and equipment. He was really good at all of these external things. But here's the problem. He couldn't play guitar. (laughs) He could barely strum a few chords, and he never really put in the time to learn. Kevin wanted to be a rock star, but he didn't want to be a musician. And that doesn't work. And in the same way, Christianity can be described by external things. Church attendance, charitable giving, being a kind person. But those things don't really matter without the heart of it all, without the essence of our faith. The new covenant relationship that Jesus brings through his Holy Spirit. But we, um, as Christians have pressure to externalize our faith. Our faith can be reduced to outward external things and perhaps the inward life neglected a bit. And just in these few final moments this morning, I'd like to mention three ways that our faith can be externalized. The first one's pretty common. Uh, We can have our faith externalized By moral rules. Now, of course, I want to quickly say we Christians should live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. We are to be holy and good and upright. But too often, the Christian faith gets whittled down to a list of do's and don'ts. Well, don't watch that movie. Do give your tithes every week. Don't go to those kind of places. Do sit down and do your devotions every morning. Now again, how we live really matters, but who we are matters more. There's nothing sadder than someone who's been, let's say, house-trained as a Christian, in the same way you might house-train a dog, has the right behavior, but doesn't really get it, doesn't really know the Lord. Well, there's another way that uh, our Christian faith can be externalized. And it's more for folks like me. It can happen in ministry. It can happen with pastors. Now, maybe you might not know this, but when pastors get together and talk, it can often come up uh, where you ask, you know, you're making small talk and you ask a question. Well, you know, how big is your church? And the person who says, well, you know, my church is 50 well, that's not as impressive as the, the person who says my church is 500 And the person who says my church is 5000 whoa, watch out. Or maybe in these conversations you might get, uh, so what's your church's annual budget? How big is your building? Uh, in shorthand, we call it butts, bucks, and buildings. How many butts are in your pews? How big? <laughs> is your budget and how big is your facility? But these things look too much at externals. Knowing the Lord doesn't easily fit into spreadsheets. Having God's law written on our hearts is really kind of hard to measure and way harder to manipulate. Yes, we will see the fruit, as Jesus says, of a changed heart. But the new covenant... And New Covenant life cannot be controlled or commodified. It cannot be domesticated. And in my world, sometimes that happens. And the third way I'd like to mention today is that our Christian faith can be externalized more from the outside. I've heard many people reduce the Christian faith into nothing more than a way to find existential meaning. You know, if it, If that gives you comfort to believe that, then that's great. Or maybe it's a way of producing good citizens. A nation of patriots who pay their taxes and do their civic duties. Or or maybe it can be pressured into a mystical experience that isn't any different than any other religion. But those external pressures on our Christian faith are to be resisted. It's about... Forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, transforming of the heart so that we reflect the law of God. And it's about an intimate relationship with the living God through the Holy Spirit. So in many different ways, there's pressure to look at these outward things. But as we saw from our passage, God's way of doing things is different. Author Richard Foster writes, The contrast between God's way of doing things and our way is never more acute than in this area of human change and transformation. We focus on specific actions. God focuses on us. We work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. We try. God transforms. Sisters and brothers in Christ, hear the good news. God has transformed you. And yes, external things matter. They serve as markers of inner realities. But these are the outworkings of a deep spiritual reality. The law of God written in our hearts and on our minds. That is what new covenant people like us know and experience. Because as the scriptures say elsewhere, People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen.
1: Hebrews 13:16 states, Generosity is a simple act, and do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. I love the beginning of that verse that states that generosity is a simple act, because even though the act may be seen as simple, the results are profound, and they greatly impact the giver as well as the person who receives. I recently read that authentic generosity, when we do it, we become vehicles of the Lord's work. What an amazing concept to believe that our small, jumbled, ever changing lives can possibly be used as a vehicle for God's work. As we give this morning, may we have the humble view to see ourselves as God's vehicle, to embrace the simple act of generosity as a way of living that our days may be spent doing good and sharing with others as we know such sacrifices are pleasing to god Holy Lord, we come to you this day with hearts that are yearning to live a life that can be filled with simple acts of generosity. May we believe in the abundance that surrounds us, and may we shine your character through simple acts of generosity that can inspire others to do the same. It is a privilege to believe for a moment that we, in our small and jumbled lives, can be a vehicle for your holy and perfect ways may your spirit fill us and lead us each day to do your will and love those around us generously in jesus name amen you may be seated
0: this microphone. There we go. We're going to try something that maybe the pandemic took away from us for a while there. Uh, we're going to pass the piece. Now, I love passing the piece. And, you know, in different cultures, this looks differently. But uh, all over the world, the church, this is a unique way that we greet one another in our community. Um, in uh, the PTA at school or in your country club or whatever, you know, organization you might be a part of, you might say hi to people, but you don't pass peace in the way that we do as Christians sharing the peace of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand up in a moment here, not just yet, hold on, hold on. stand up in a moment here and pass the peace. And I'm going to ask you to do it to at least five people. So get up, walk around a little bit, uh, say hello to your brothers and sisters, and we'll use the traditional exchange of peace. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us share God's peace with one another.
4: Peace of Christ be with you.
3: I invite you to be seated and to think now of our coming to God in prayer as a congregation. And it's just the way I like to do it, to come down and be where you are, because we're praying together now. And um, you may not have heard these words before. I discovered them in Scripture this week. These are the words of Moses. They're found in the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses was telling the people how wonderful it was that they knew God under that first covenant. And he said to them these words, quote, The Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him. That's a promise for us today. We have received two prayer requests. One will be to continue to pray for our dear friend Phil Itema who is recovering from brain surgery and waiting for a diagnosis. And then... To add to our prayers during the week, Mary Jane Carpenter, just struggling with some health issues with the family. Remembering them then, let us come to the Lord in prayer. We praise you, God, our Creator, for your handiwork in shaping and sustaining your wondrous creation in which we live. Especially we thank you for the miracle of life and the wonder of being alive this very day. Thank you for the treasure stored in every human life present in this service and what a gift that is to our church, dear Lord. We pray for others, God our Savior, claiming your love in Jesus Christ for the whole world. We celebrate the baptism of dear Annabelle this very morning. And we give her to you, Lord, for your choice blessing throughout her life. Yet we share our prayers with those who mourn the loss of loved ones for whom they They grieve. Lord, surround them with your grace. And Father, there are those with physical illness and pain like Phil. There are those who are elderly and infirm. There are broken hearts all around us. Some are so lonely, Lord. Others are victims of crime or people homeless around us. Some in our midst struggle with marital difficulties, and parents who wrestle with the needs of their children. You know us, Lord. You love us, Lord. And we need you, all of us. And we need that transformation that You can make in our hearts. Oh, dear Father, write on our hearts Your love, Your grace, Your mercy. We will give You honor and praise in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven,
5: hallowed be
3: Thy name. Thy kingdom come.
0: Brothers and sisters of the new covenant, the promises of Jeremiah have been realized in us. God is with us and we are his people. And so as you leave this week to wherever you go, know that God is with you and God loves you dearly. Now receive the benediction.
4: Remember to love one another and do what is pleasing to Him. Be strengthened by grace and worship in reverence and awe the God of. And grace be with you all, and may the good Shepherd of the sheep equip you with all things for doing His will. And
0: has called you this week. Go now to love and serve the Lord.
4: Amen. Amen. We go go forth forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to